0: Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see everyone here this morning for part 10 of our teaching series, Move to More, From a Believer to a Disciple. And real quick, I want to look at the center cam. Welcome all of you watching online with us this morning. Well, we've been in this journey together for the past 10 weeks, looking at what does it look like to move from a believer to a disciple. We've looked at this image here, and the idea is that God is calling us to more, that I think the heart of God does not settle with shallow Christianity. We celebrate when people enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which we would say, they're a believer in Jesus. But there is so much more for our faith. We are never called to be stagnant in our faith. There is always a journey for you and I to go on. And what we desire or want to become is we want to become a disciple of Jesus. In the ancient world, a disciple would follow a teacher known as a rabbi. What that meant is you would follow so close to that teacher or rabbi, there was a saying that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You followed that close to them. And that's what this series has kind of been looking at. Character traits that look, that Jesus has, that you and I can embrace and bear that fruit. So we look more like Jesus in the world today. Now, before I jump into the 10th trait, Uh, I just want to have a little bit of fun with you this morning. So it's going to be lighthearted, okay? I don't really mean this. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, he doesn't mean this, all right? Go ahead, do that. All right, I just want to have fun with you, okay? That's all that is, all right? Uh, A couple years ago, well, several years ago, Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian, came up with something you might be a redneck if... I decided to take that mantra and decide, you might be a disciple if, or you might be a believer if. All right, all lighthearted, all humor, I mean nothing by it, okay? We're all on the same page, here we go. You might be a disciple if one of your children is named after a character in the Bible. (laughs) My wife and I must be believers because we name none of our kids after a character in the Bible. Right, But you know that's like a Christian family when they have Ezekiel and Elijah and Sarah and Rahab. You know, like, whoa, Christian family, right? All right, lighthearted. Here we go. You might be a disciple if your home looks like a Hobby Lobby ad. All right, it's Father's Day. Hey, dudes, how many of you actually like Hobby Lobby? All right, all right, there we go, there we go, all right. Uh, You might be a believer if you miss church on Sunday and think you can get church credit by eating the Christian chicken on Monday. But you might be a disciple if you actually actually know what the Christian chicken is, it's Chick-fil-A. All right. Chick-fil-A, it's the Christian organization that actually serves a pretty good chicken sandwich. Always closed on Sunday to honor a day of rest, all right? All right, here's a couple more. You might be a disciple if you ever used the word fellowship when saying hanging out would have worked just fine. No one uses the word fellowship except Christians, right? If We don't say that. Would you like to come over and fellowship at my house? No, just say hanging out. We're hanging out, right? All right, here we go. Uh, you might be a disciple if you stubbed your toe and said, rats, even if something else came to mind first. <laughs> Sanctification, we're growing, right? You would be impressed by what I didn't say. There we go. You might be a believer if you think if you like the colors green and white, scarlet and gray, blue and gold. You might be a disciple if you like the colors maize and blue. You might be a believer if you just booed the last statement. You might be a disciple if you cheered the last statement. I mean nothing by it, remember. I just have the mic, you don't. That's all. But this entire series we're just trying to feel, knowing that God's not calling us into shallow Christianity, he's calling us into the deeper walkers to look, or deeper waters to look more like him, to an unbelieving and broken world that needs the greatest message and that's the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ. And we all, no matter where we are today, whether you've been following Jesus for a, a day or whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years, there's a journey for you to go on. There is always growth and always a next step happening. It's what the theological term is, sanctification. Oh, I'm sorry, sanctification. It's the idea of working to become more like Jesus Christ in our holy living. It's a process and it's a journey that the Holy Spirit is using in us and revealing the sins in us that don't look like Jesus so you and I can become like Jesus to this world. But there is always a next step, and that's what this series has been looking at. Ten characteristics that a disciple of Jesus embodies and bears fruit with. The entire theme of this, of, of this teaching series has been rooted in what's known as the Great Commission, found in the Gospel writer of Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. One last time, everyone. Therefore, go and make what, friends? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right there you have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. But the idea is to go, we have to go. In other words, we can't stay. We have to go and make disciples. The very first step of discipleship, that term of looking more like Jesus in the church world, is the moment of salvation, that's the when you believe and put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It happens there, but there is a journey for you and I to look more like Jesus Christ. Sanctification, discipleship in our lives that the church needs more than ever in today's culture. I believe it through and through. But I love when Jesus doesn't just stop there. He says, by the way, you gotta go and make disciples. Well, how? And teaching them to obey Everything. Not just the parts of God's word that we like or we avoid the parts we dislike or don't understand. It's everything. It's a whole. We teach them everything God's word has to say and what Jesus has commanded. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, understand this. Making disciples isn't optional. Making disciples is a mandate. This is the great commission. You and I have a mandate on our lives to go and make disciples. If you follow Jesus this morning, you are called to be a disciple maker. And it doesn't just stop there. It will go that you make disciples who then make disciples who then make disciples. And if the church actually grabbed a hold of that, oh my, would we see a revival in this world. The issue is too many of us have settled for a faith that's far less than what Jesus Christ paid a high price on the cross for. We're called to something deeper. It's not optional. This is a mandate on our lives. You and I have to go and make, one more time, make what, friends? Disciples of Jesus. And so, so far in the series, this is week 10, but we've looked at nine traits of discipleship. And this is a series, honestly, we could go throughout the end of December with. But we just chose 12 that definitely Jesus embodied that you and I are called to embody in this world as well. And here are nine that we've discussed so far. Passionately committed to Jesus. We're just and generous. We have a heart of a servant. Evangelistically bold. We live on purpose knowing our primary purpose is to make disciples. That is all of ours if we follow Jesus' primary purpose on this, lot, on this world is to make disciples. But we have a secondary purpose. And that's whatever God-given gifts and abilities he's placed in within you that you are using in this world. Whether it's the medical field or the, or the um, public education, a business owner, whatever it is. But know this, making disciples always feeds into your secondary purpose in this world. That you and I have the lens as we work in this culture that you and I are in, that we're called to make disciples with the people, our coworkers, and our boss. Even though they could be far from Jesus, but discipleship always starts by knowing him. Man, you can preach it. That means you're gonna be evangelistically bold. See, all this plays in together, all right? Uh, Governed by the authority of God's word, we stand on his word alone, have extraordinary love, and we engage in biblical community, and we live morally pure, also known as just holy living, that we are to be set apart from the world. You and I should look different than what culture is. And I know for some of us, that's like, man, that makes me weird. Yep, yep. To a secular worldview, yes, it looks odd. But to the kingdom perspective, we're called, we're doing exactly what we're called to do. And that's what matters. But know this, this 10th trait that I will reveal. None of these nine can happen if we don't get this one right. I think these nine hinge on this one moment. And here's the 10th trait Or characteristic of a disciple of Jesus, surrendered and submitted to Holy Spirit. Surrendered and submitted to Holy Spirit. It's a huge thing. And if I'm honest, I think for some of us, we get scared about this, but at the same time, we've never done this because we thought all along our faith was just surrendering to Jesus. It is, it starts there. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman waiting, the presence of God in your life to be invited in. You have him on on point of salvation when you surrender your faith and your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. The gift inside of you is the Holy Spirit. He's waiting to be welcomed in. It's, It's another act of surrender that I think in the church world we don't get really well at. Because we say surrender to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, surrender to Jesus. Remember, what part of the Trinity is working in you and on you and in this world today? Holy Spirit. Where's God? Heaven. Where's Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. So what part of the Trinity is at work here on earth? Holy Spirit. We got to get to know him. We have a mandate. Therefore, go and make disciples. You must, in order to make a disciple you got to know what a disciple looks like. you got to become one yourself. Because I know this, and this is true. We can't lead people to a place we haven't been. You're sitting here trying to say, hey, be a disciple, be a disciple. But your life looks completely like a believer. Your life looks like, hey, I worship God on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, I say all different things. We cannot lead people into discipleship as a disciple if we ourselves aren't being a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is why the culture doesn't like Christians today, you bunch of hypocrites. I want to say, yeah, there are some hypocrites that come into churches in America and we look like we have our worship on and our lifestyle is completely different out there outside the walls. But I want to say, welcome to a broken world where we don't get it right all the time. Welcome to a church that doesn't get it right all the time because we're human. But man, I'm on a journey to walk with God closer and closer, to become more like Jesus each and every day. And I know this, we live in a broken, unbelieving world. America, all stats, everyone in Europe, they're already at a post-Christian culture. In other words, church is becoming irrelevant all the theological and biblical scholars and pastors look over there, are shouting in America, hey America, wake up, because you're headed towards a post-Christian culture. They'll actually screaming, you already are living in a post-Christian culture. This is why this is so important to know that the most important message to the unbeliever is who, friends, is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is that bridge builder. That sin has separated us from our heavenly father. And that sin is ugly to a holy God. And in order for that bridge to be built back into relationship with him, Jesus Christ, the son of God, had to come and bear your sins on a cross. Because you couldn't do it alone. And Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins and we put our faith and trust into Jesus. That moment is called salvation. We are now saved from the wrath of God and the consequences of sin. We are saved from our sin and we can walk into our heavenly father now. The most un, the unbelievers, the most important message you and I can preach is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. The most important message to the unbeliever is Jesus. Now lean in. The most important message to a disciple is Holy Spirit. I'm not saying Jesus is irrelevant. I'm not saying God is irrelevant. Oh, do we ever need a God who is for us and a Jesus who loves us and forgives us and saves us. But we said it. What part of the Trinity, the Godhead is working in us? It's the Holy Spirit. We ought to get to know who the Holy Spirit is. He's the one upon you at salvation. He's the one working, the Godhead that is working in the world today that is moving in the midst when you are worshiping and you feel the presence of God. It is this Holy Spirit falling down. This is why you and I must be surrendered and submitted to Holy Spirit because you and I know there's a significant mandate. Go and make disciples. And in fact, for a lot of people, they think that's, and I've said this before if you've been with us, uh, I said, a lot of people think this statement, the Great Commission, is the last command Jesus makes. And it's not. I love this command because it's, there's action. Do you see the action in it? We got to go, there's action, and actually make. Uh oh, what am I making? A disciple. So we have a ton of action here, but this was not Jesus's last command. It wasn't even his last breath to his 12 disciples, or 11 disciples at the time, after he had been crucified on the cross, buried and resurrected, and he spent 40 more days with the people. This wasn't even his last command. This is just the Great Commission. A lot of scholars think that Jesus probably said this in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee on a mount called Mount Arbel. You get on top of Mount Arbel and you can see the entire landscape of the Sea of Galilee where 80% of Jesus' ministry happened was the Sea of Galilee, that entire region. And if you climb on top of Mount Arbel, you're able to look out and I imagine Jesus had his disciples And be like, Jesus, we did this for three years with you. And he's like, Yeah, remember what happened there in Capernaum? Remember how I I healed Peter's mother in law? And Peter really didn't want it actually. It was her mother in law or something. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Happy Father's Day, I'm kidding, okay? So, you know, and remember over here when we went to Tiberias and remember over there, the region of the Gerasenes. Remember when that crazy man came out of the tombs and he was like demonized and he's screaming and cutting himself in the tomb? Remember, you chickens stayed on the boat and I got off the boat and the demon comes to me and I healed him and exorcised demons. Remember when he went into, all the demons went into the pigs and they all rolled down into the, remember that? And I imagine the disciples like, oh, they were captivated. And in the midst of that, I've spent three years with you doing ministry. Go and make disciples. I've set the example for you. Now you got to go do it because I'm going away. I've defeated death. I conquered sin in your life, but I'm going away. In fact, we're told in the gospel writer, Luke, Luke writes this. These are Jesus' words. This is actually the last command. I am going to send you What my father has promised. But what's this one word, friends? But stay. Stay Stay in the city. How long do we have to stay? Until you've been clothed with power. Until you've been clothed with power from on high. So disciples, yes, you have to go and make disciples. But don't move. Stay in that city until you're clothed with power. I imagine the disciples sitting there going, oh, I want power. This sounds cool, God, or Jesus. This sounds really cool. What, how am I going to get it, like clothed with power? How does that happen? Glad you ask. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, this is Jesus. But you will receive what? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Oh, good. Jesus says, stay in the city until we're clothed with power. But we don't know what that looks like. Okay, now Jesus has said, the power that you're going to be clothed with will come by one person in his name is Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have the power now. The power or the Holy Spirit is the power of God in our lives. And he's telling the disciples, you have this huge great commission. You have this huge mandate of going and making disciples. But you can't do it until the Holy Spirit, my power comes upon you. Then you have it. Now you can go and make disciples and be witnesses all over the place. Because the power was purposed there was a reason why Jesus had to go away and the power had to come from Holy Spirit. I imagine when they're hearing their words, maybe perhaps they're excited that Jesus is gonna give them power and this Holy Spirit's gonna come upon them. Maybe they were like, wait, but I don't get it, Jesus. Like, can't we just be with you? Can we just be with you more and longer? Like, we've been three years, we saw some amazing, awesome things. Like, do you really gotta go? Really? It's amazing what Jesus says. He's got to come because, listen, you're going to do greater and more amazing things when he comes than if I stay with you. And you sit back and go, how is, man, it's just crazy. Back in November, we did a, a teaching series back in November, December called Holy Spirit, and I said something, I need to just say it again. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than Jesus besides you. Beside you. In that moment, Jesus is saying, it is better that I go. Why? Because you're gonna receive power when the other part of the Trinity comes down. I have to go. So when the other part, the power of God, the presence of God, Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says this, you're gonna be my witnesses now. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to know who I am. You're going to know everything. The power's upon you. Now you're going to go and make disciples. You're going to be my witnesses all over this world to make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they got it. That's how we go and make disciples. We had to wait for the power, who is Holy Spirit, to come in on our lives. And now we can go. Acts chapter 2. I love the book of Acts. It's awesome. Acts chapter 2, which is known as Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. Let's look at it really quick. Acts chapter 2, Jesus is now gone into heaven. It says this On the day of Pentecost, which is just again a Jewish holiday that celebrates, it means 50, but it's a Jewish holiday. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, it makes sense because people are pilgriming to Jerusalem to celebrate this. who, that was good. To celebrate this Jewish festival called Pentecost. So it makes sense why they're all together in one place now. This is all starting to make sense. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And watch this look, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. How awesome, but yet maybe unnerving a little bit, perhaps, that imagine we're in here and that's what happens. Pretend like the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet and you and I are gonna be the very first recipients of the power and all of a sudden, this, this violent wind comes in and we're like, ooh, ooh, right? I don't know how they would respond. But then they, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, on each of them. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe perhaps a little odd. Seen a little whoo above the head. I don't know. But I know it was better that Jesus goes so this can happen. And then it continues on. All. How many of them? All. What about every single one in that room? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongue as the Spirit, watch, the Spirit enabled them. This is the moment where you realize the message finally leaves outside the church. Do you know where all the preaching of Jesus happened before? With believers. It happened on the courts of the synagogue, which, or, or the temple, which was their church, and it happened in believers' homes. This is the first time finally the message is going to spread outside the walls of this church and it's going to go to all the nations. People are speaking Medes. Uh, they have different tongues, native tongues, that now they can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're speaking all these languages. And all these people are like, Whoa, I hear my native tongue. Whoa, I can hear the message of Jesus now. But everyone in that moment thought, Whoa, y'all are drunk. You had way too much wine, you weirdos. Like, stop. And Peter's, <laughs> Oh, Peter. Peter's like, No, 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 stop it. Let me explain. Right, This is Peter who got some boldness now that the Holy Spirit is with him. This is the Peter who denied Jesus three times at Jesus' trial. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And it says he goes outside and he weeps bitterly knowing, I just denied my rabbi, Jesus Christ. I can't believe I did it. It was this Peter that after Jesus was buried and resurrected, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee, on the seashore there, cooking breakfast over a coal fire. And what happens to Peter? He sees Jesus, he gets there, and Jesus says, hey, three questions, by the way. Do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course, yes, yes. Why does Jesus ask him three times? Peter denied him three times. It's the restoration of the denial of three times. Peter, 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 do you love me? That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. Whatever's broken, he will restore it's beautiful and I love Peter in that moment what does he say what about John what about little Johnny here what's gonna happen to him the spirit comes and he's got boldness and he's addressing the crowd now he's like stop it we're not drunk on wine here's what happened further in Acts Peter says this Peter replied repent and be what friends repent and be baptized What does repent means? I'm literally going in this direction in our faith. We would say we're walking in sin away from God. God is back there. And I repent and I turn from my ways and I'm heading back to the heavenly father, my creator. And then he says, and be baptized this is why I'm so excited. I love Lake Baptism that we do, that summer bash. We didn't do it last summer. We get to do it. It's just fun. It's just different. All the families there. It's just so much fun. You got to get baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of who, friends? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He's addressing the crowd who don't know who Jesus is yet. Remember, the most important message to the unbeliever is Who? It's Jesus. You see it played out here. Hey, repent, be baptized. You gotta give your life over to Jesus Christ because he will and he is the only one who can forgive you of your sins. It's only him, he's the way. So he's preaching to that crowd all about Jesus and now he says when you find Jesus, the moment of salvation in your life, now you're going to receive the what, friends? The gift of Holy Spirit. So unbeliever, preaching Jesus, Jesus. Now once you have Jesus, you're a disciple, you're a believer. Hey, now Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit in your life. He's a gift. Oh, is he a good gift? He's a gift we don't have to be afraid of. He's a beautiful gift. And if it's from God who loves all his children dearly, we can trust in his gifts. And Peter's like, look, this Let me tell you about this. This promise that I just told you, it's for you. And it doesn't just stop with you. It's for your children and all who are far off, those who are far from Jesus. This promise is for them and for all whom the Lord our God will call this gift of repenting and baptize, that you will be forgiven by Jesus Christ, and once you do that salvation, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. It's for all of us. You and I have a heavy mandate, friends. Go and make disciples. It's interesting is you read the book of Acts and you realize when the Holy Spirit came and power came upon them and now they were able to fulfill this. They were able to be witnesses and going out and make disciples. What you find in the book of Acts, you just keep reading. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Just keep reading through it and you're gonna find that people came to faith and received the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over, the Holy Spirit coming on people. It's just beautiful. So understand this. The rule was to be Spirit-filled. The exception was not filled. Further in the book of Acts chapter 19, there's a beautiful thing that Paul finally gets to go to the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was on the west coast of present-day Turkey, uh, known as Asia Minor back in the day. It was the fourth largest city during the time of Paul. It was massive. It was known for its wealth and wild living. In other words, I always say this. It was like the character of Manhattan and the high rise and the high rollers and the business, all that. Manhattan plus the prostitution and gambling and wildness of Las Vegas. Combine those two together, you had the city of Ephesus and it was a major port city. And all of a sudden, the gospel got preached there. Jesus got preached there. And Paul's like, hey, but they're missing something. So Paul gets over there and says this to the church people, the believers who believed in the message of Jesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Jesus was preached. We, 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 we fell in love with Jesus. We put our faith and trust into Jesus. And Paul's like, you're missing a third of the Trinity. There's more. And then it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, The Holy Spirit came on them. And my goodness, a city of wild living plus high rolling, the church grew. It became an important church that the half-brother of Jesus, James, ends up going there with his mother. Even though James was stationed in Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Timothy, who Paul trained himself and kept writing to him and treated him like his own beloved son, ends up pastoring this city. It became huge because Paul knew there was something missing. They believed in Jesus, but they haven't received, in other words, I take it they haven't opened the gift of Holy Spirit yet in their life. It's just stagnant. But know this, this morning, please know, your relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, is built through and dependent upon your relationship with the person of Holy Spirit. It's built through and dependent upon. We can't stay stagnant. We can't stiff arm a third of who God is. We can't do that. If we are going to move to more, we need the power to do so. And here's what's beautiful. Holy Spirit will always point you to Jesus. The beautiful message that the unbelieving world needs to hear is Jesus. But when you're a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you are surrendered and submitted to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to point you to become like Jesus. Now we're looking and being a true disciple of Jesus, this unbelieving world can look at the way you and I live our lives. And sit there and go, whoa, I want some of that. And you say, it's not me, it's God. Let me introduce him to you. you whoa, that's fun. I'm telling you, it's a wild ride. It's the funnest ride you'll go on. When you, when you personally lead someone to Jesus, oh my gosh. I know you may be like, oh, I can't do this. Do it one time, it'll change your life. I promise you, It's awesome. In the book of John, the gospel writer, John. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John let you know that, by the way. He wrote that lots of times in his own writing. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way. Yes. Can't wait to have a discussion with him. He says this. Jesus' words, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or maybe perhaps some of your translations say comforter to help you and be with you forever. Well, who is this advocate? Comforter, it's the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of truth. And watch what Jesus says now. Here's the problem. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. And who is Jesus talking to? His disciples. And what is he gonna say? You're gonna know him. That knows is that intimate know. Not head knowledge, but a deep heart transformation, heart transformation, a deep relationship transformation. I know the Holy Spirit. And what is he's gonna live with you. And he's not just with you, he's gonna be in you. And then I love what Paul, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a little messed up city. It had a lot of trouble, a lot of paganism in the, in the city of Corinth. And uh, unfortunately, that city just kind of struggled, or the church in that city kind of struggled to figure out in the midst of a culture that's extremely pagan and wild sin and everything, how do we look like Jesus? And Paul writes to that church in 1 Corinthians and says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, Because Paul's able to say, listen, when I bring Jesus, it's not me. It's not my words. It's nothing. He goes on to say, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's my message. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that's with me and in me. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. You know what I want your faith to rest on? God's power. And what is God's power? It's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) If we're going to move from a believer to disciple, if we're going to move to more, we need the empowering of Holy Spirit in our lives. We need it. You know why you need it? Because you need to be a better dad. You can't do it alone you need to be a better mom cuz you can't do it alone you need to be that better husband and that better wife you need to be that better coworker that better boss that better classmate that better student that better teammate on the field you need the empowering of holy spirit in our lives cuz we need to shine the light of jesus to others we need to shine i love what william barclay says commentator on, uh, and he wrote on the Holy Spirit, this is what he says. For Christians, the Holy Spirit is essential to every part of the Christian life and every step in it. It is the Holy Spirit who awakens within us the first faint longings for a God and goodness. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you're just kicking the tires about faith and you feel a tug and you're like, I don't know why I keep coming to church. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you towards Jesus. Jesus. And then he says this, "This is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and leads us to the cross where that sin is forgiven. Disciples, that's where the Holy Spirit says, that's not good to have in your life. We need to get rid of that because it doesn't look like Jesus right now. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to be freed from sins which have given, which have us in their grip. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. You want to beat that addiction? Empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is power over the addiction and the sin in your life. Know this. Walk into that truth. And then he says... It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the assurance that our sins are forgiven and that Jesus Christ is Lord. It, is, it says in scripture that the Holy Spirit reminds you, you are a son and daughter of God. That is who you are. Go figure the enemy wants to take our identity away because that's what the Holy Spirit seals on you. You are mine. You are mine, son. You are mine, daughter. The beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life are the work of the Holy Spirit, surrendered and submitted. Let me ask you a question. Is Holy Spirit a dominant reality in your life? And my prayer, oh, I pray he is. Because this is the most significant step, I believe, that's gonna move us from a believer to a disciple. So all those other characteristics come to play, why? because the Holy Spirit's always pointing you to Jesus. I think we could take this entire series and say one word. Maybe there's some of us that we surrendered a long time ago and we can be honest and sit there and go, I'm just going through the motions. Just going through motions. Maybe for some of us, we remember that moment that we did surrender our life to Jesus, but to be honest, we've never really surrendered and gone all in with Holy Spirit. The gift is right here, but we've never surrendered and said, I wanna open it. I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome, and this is what he says. It's this idea of Surrender. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, watch this, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It's an all-in moment. And then he says, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness,